Please turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6, a very well-known passage, and we will be reading the first nine verses. This is God's Word. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is God's word. Well, some of you might know, my, or at least know of, my grandparents, Ross and June Morrison, 99 and 95 years old, young, respectively. I talk with them from time to time. Grandpa Morrison came down and preached the charge at my ordination service seven years ago. And so today, which are together, they have raised six children. All of them were either pastors or missionaries. The five boys at one point in their life were in my mother, case of my mother, their only daughter, they married, she married a pastor. They pray for their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren by name, almost daily. Now, Grandpa did not grow up as a Christian. He was a kind man, he was a moral man, but he didn't understand the treasure of the good news of Jesus until his 20s. And I think because of that, he was zealous to pass on that treasure to his descendants. Grandpa tells a story that I've mentioned here before. It's a story of, of a man who, who created a business and amassed a fortune for himself and for his family. And so he passes it on to his only son, who takes it and he manages it. It neither grows nor shrinks. And that son passes it on to his son, the grandson. And that grandson squanders it. He wastes it. And the story is a parable of how easy it is for the gospel to be lost between generations. You have someone who is passionate and on fire for the Lord and they're following him. And then and their children, perhaps they they come to church, they're faithful, uh, they're steady in the church, but they've lost some of that passion, lost some of that commitment. And and perhaps then their children grow up and say, you're not too excited about what you do. I'm not sure if I am either. And they leave the church. And, and so often in two short generations, you can see the light of the gospel go out in the generational chain. Uh, sometimes it goes out even faster. We're not going to turn there today, but it's in the bulletin and in the outlines. If you have the, the printed outline, Second Kings chapter 21, we've talked about how Hezekiah, the king, the last couple of months was was a great and faithful king in many ways. But. There was also some disappointing parts of his life, and perhaps the saddest parts of his life was that his son that succeeded him was King Manasseh, who was probably the most wicked king in Judah. 
It only takes one generation to lose the faith. And so our sermon idea today is pass the treasure of Jesus on to the next generation. They have to receive it. But, but we should pass the treasure of Jesus on to the next generation. And today we're going to look at the vision and the application. The vision will look a little bit at the Old Testament and New Testament. We're going to spend less time there. And the application, we're going to specifically look at how Sunday school might help us pass on the treasure of Jesus. So the vision is of this multi-generational people of God. God gives us this, this goal of people who are in love with him and they're passing this treasure down. And this is what Deuteronomy is talking about. And we see in the first three verses the goal and the scope of this vision. First of all, is the goal is that we, we serve the Lord, follow the commandments of the Lord, keep, do, fear the Lord, so that the goal you may have Long life in the land. You may have many descendants in the promised land. Remember, these are all blessings of God's presence with his people. The scope, you can see, is is for your son and your son's sons. Your descendants, this would include daughters as well, of course. It's not just yourself. And that leads to the effect. Verses 4 and 6 are some of the most important verses in Old Testament truth. Verse 5, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, The Lord is one. That last phrase, the Lord is one, could be interpreted several ways. One is the Lord alone, right? Compared to all the other gods around that are rivaling for our attention and affection. Or it could even mean the Lord is unique. Same word is used this way in Song of Solomon, where the the lover says to his beloved, my beloved is unique among all the women. The Lord is the most treasured, the most prized. Whatever it means is that Yahweh, the I am God, is above all and is the only sane response is to love and cherish him. And our hearts should be filled and overflowing with a love for him. Well, so how does this vision happen? Well, in the Old Testament, it's primarily through family discipleship. You see the method in verses 7 through 9, where you must weave God's law into to every part of your life as, as parents teach the kids. Kids, what does it mean in verse 7, where it says, well, you should teach your children as you talk to them, you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Does that mean when you swim, you don't have to teach them? No, it's, it's talking about all of life. It's talking about every single part. That the authority of God's word must drive our teaching that, that it's a whole life event. That's what we see in the picture of the Old Testament. We also see this applied to the church in the New Testament. I'm going to read a short passage from Matthew 13. It's just three verses. It's the parable of the hidden treasure. Jesus says this, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven, or God, is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Here the picture is clear of the treasure. There's this kingdom of God which is so precious that if you really understand it, you'll be willing to give everything up for it. And of course, at the center of that kingdom is the king. And we see in the church this happens two ways. You have the family inheritance again. So we should remember that 
as, as zealous as we should be for a mission outside, sharing the gospel with the children in our church is first base of evangelism mission. We, we need to start there. If we miss that, we're missing everything. And that's what we read in, read in the scripture in 2 Timothy, where Paul talks about the transmission of faith from Lois to Eunice to Timothy. Three generations of the faith passed down from grandmother to mother to, ch- to, to son. It's also a church covenant responsibility that we have together. We are bound by a covenant, a special promise. We sang, just saying that children have a place in our church. Children, did you know that in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul has a verse just for you. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. That means if he talks to you, it means you have a place here. You're part of the church. Our baptism reflects that after we have baptized a child and the parents have vowed before the Lord to serve the Lord in our book of church order, they suggest that, that the elders then ask the congregation for a commitment. Do you commit to pray and encourage and, and by all the means possible support this child and this family in raising the Lord? So we have a responsibility to pass this treasure on. It's not just the parents, although they have a large part, but all the members, even if you have no children, which I think is important because as you look at Jesus and Paul, probably the two most influential people in the New Testament, they probably had something to do with encouraging the next generation, don't you think? So that's the vision, passing on this treasure of Jesus to the next generation. We see it in the Old Testament and the New. And so the application today is, well, how can we do that through Sunday school? And I want to start by giving a State of the Union address for Sunday school. If I were to come and you know, do the, the formal State of the Union, I'd say, brothers, sisters, the State of the Union of Sunday School at Faith Church is it's mixed. It's mixed. Uh, we have some positive things. It's great that we're able to get started back up after COVID. Uh, we, we have enough teachers to fill our children's classes. Elizabeth and I are so grateful that we can take all three of our kids now, Tommy and Rachel have turned two, to the Sunday school classes. We have a core of people who are committed to, to the adult classes. But there's, there's some troubling things, too. There's some negative sides. We have just enough teachers. We, we need more to be on the rotation. We could use more for subs. We have people coming in late, which is, you know, it's just, it's just distracting, and, and it's not nearly as good for continuity and participation. And then our rates are low. Uh, both the adults and especially the children. And, and so I would say we, we've got a new start, we've got teachers, we've got a dedicated core, that's great. And yet, if our Sunday school is going to be effective in helping us disciple, then we need a deeper level of commitment from our church members. Well, then, you know, but do we need Sunday school? You know, is, it, is it a command? I mean, isn't it just something that we've always done? Are we doing it just to do it? Well, those are great questions. Let's just talk about them for a minute. Well, first of all, Sunday school is not a command. So it's, it's not like worship where, where God commands you to be here or in another house every week. That's very clear from the New Testament scriptures. If you're not doing that, you're not following God. And yes, Sunday school is a tradition that at least in the Protestant churches, we've been doing for the last 200 years or so. So yes. But I would argue that Sunday school is more useful today than ever. I think that Sunday school is more useful today than ever. And I'm going to spend the longest part in this sermon because really I'm making the case for Sunday school here. And I would say, well, why is that? Well, there's some external factors and some, there's some internal factors. So what are some of the external reasons out there, outside the church? Well, there's, there's biblical illiteracy. I don't know if you've noticed, but we are a society that's having trouble grasping facts right now. 
There's, there's a video out put out by Project Better. I don't know anything about them, not endorsing them. But I, I just, they, they go around and they interview like 20-somethings on the beach or, or the park. And they say, hey, there was one question. It's like, who is the first person to land on the sun? Like, oh, let me think. Let me think. It was Lance. Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong. It's like, well, actually, there was no it was Neil Armstrong. And he landed on the, the moon. Right. Or or what was the biggest city in the world of thinking? Oh, wait, 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 wait. Is it Europe or Asia? Well, that's a continent. It probably is. I don't know. It's probably in Asia because it's most densely populated. I think like Singapore, or Jakarta and somewhere in there. Right. Um, but where is Queen Elizabeth from? Egypt? Brazil? I mean, there's, there's just a basic lack of facts, which is contributing to our you know, having trouble constructing reality today. And, and it's the same when it comes to biblical literacy. You know, I, 20 years ago, I remember talking to a friend in college. I wasn't trying to evangelize him. I was just, the Bible was part of my vocabulary, and I made an analogy, a reference to Jonah as a literary foil, and he said, Jonah who? Who? Like, you know, Jonah and the whale? Crickets. And that's very common. That was 20 years ago. That's even more the case now. I, I just finished. This is very different than 50 years ago, uh, 70 years ago. I just finished listening to the, the Horatio Hornblower series. I did that in the hospital. which was very helpful audiobooks for me to have something to do when I was not feeling well. And um, there was a throwaway reference to Uriah the Hittite. C.S. Forrester knew that his, you, you sell novels to make money, so you're not going to put something in that people don't understand. He just knew that the vast majority of the people reading his novel would know who Uriah the Hittite is. Can you imagine how many people on the street today would know who Uriah the Hittite is? Or even a Hittite for that matter. How many of you know who Uriah the Hittite is? And if you don't, Second Samuel is your place. Don't Google it. Come on, do the work. Um, Right, but he's he's a minor character, but he's pretty significant. But yes, yes, Forrester just assumed that level of biblical literacy, which means if there is no common social knowledge of Scripture anymore, you can't expect to get the building blocks from the outside, can you? Nor would we really want to in the first place. Well, the second thing is that we are very much a cultural minority at this point, right? We're a minority and should act like it. What does it mean when you're a minority? It means that, that you know, your position is the one that doesn't make sense and you have to defend it. So if someone says today, well, you know, I believe in a woman's right to choose, everyone says, oh yeah, that's a very enlightened position and you just, you just go on. But if, you know, there's a lot of questions you might want to ask, but the society is not asking that. You can just take that position and not, not really think very hard and even maybe be intellectually satisfied. But if you're the minority, you better be ready to answer at least the common objections. Oh, you're anti-choice, are you? Oh, okay. So uh, you only care about a baby before it's born, right? Or uh, you only care. What about those hard cases? What about why don't Christians adopt and foster more? Right? You, 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 you have to know how to respond well because you're going to get the tough questions. The majority is not going to be asking them of themselves. And so Sunday school is a way for us to prepare as the cultural minority to respond well. And if we don't disciple us and our, our children, guess what? The culture will. So and I, don't you think that was what was happening in Deuteronomy 2, where Israel is this nation surrounded by pagans who believe in other gods, who would very much like Israel to become like them? There's some, there's some parallels there, isn't there? So what are some of the internal factors? Well, there's two that we've identified in this session that we think are important. And the first is this, this phrase called theological discipleship. That sounds big, but it's 
theology, the study of God, discipleship, which means someone's a learner or a follower. You, you make a pursuit, uh, some, a passion in your life, like someone following a sensei and learning a martial art, getting a black belt. Basically, you put the, the two together, it's, it's, it's the learning and application of the study of God. When Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, he's implying that there's effort that goes on. Of course, we receive him by grace, but there's effort. He doesn't mean, you know, go to church once or twice a month, slap a cross in the back of your car, put a couple spiritual posts on, on social media, and you're good. No, no, it's, it's a determined effort. Can you imagine a soccer team that met only for matches but never trained? Could you even call them a soccer team? I don't know. But this is the way our passage in Deuteronomy mentions the ways that, that parents should talk to disciple their children. As you walk, as you eat, as you lie down, sit down, rise up, right? And so for our children, we want to disciple them to help build that biblical literacy, build that knowledge base. Now, kids, knowing facts about Jesus is not the same as knowing Jesus. Right? To know him means that you, you know who he is, how much you need him, you're a sinner, what he's done for you, like accepting him and placing him at the center of his life. That's, that's what we talk about when we say knowing Jesus. You can graduate from high school and know the Bible and know your confession catechism cold and sadly still not be in love with Jesus. You can be lost as everyone else. And yet, it's very hard for you to have a relationship without the facts. It's very hard. Guess what, kids? Someday, most of you will be bitten by a love bug. You're going to fall in love with someone else. Some of you said, ooh, never. Not going to happen. But it will. Just watch Bambi. Um, You will want to, when you fall in love, you will want to learn as much about that person as possible. And that's our goal. Knowing God, too. For adults, you're living in that cultural minority. You know the squeeze of living where now corporate, social, tech are, are pronouncing truths that don't fit well with yours. How do we do that? What do we, how do we work that out? We gotta train. You know, unlike parents, your soccer or swim practice where you drop the kids off and you go somewhere else or you say it on the sidelines, we can't do that for our faith. Now, now when it comes to your kids and sporting events, we get it. For most of you in your 30s on, that ship has sailed, little legs have lots of energy, that's completely fair. But when it comes to following Jesus, adults, We can't send our kids off to training and sit on the sidelines. Adults, we lead by example. That means we train. I I hope you get this idea of this discipleship is important. And this session believes that Sunday school would be one helpful way of us training to be disciples of Jesus. The second thing is that we're a covenant community. We're bound together by, by being joined to Christ first, but also as the local church, the body of Christ. Paul says that as the church, we are the body and the family. Think about those two metaphors. In order to grow as the body of the family, you have to prioritize that relationship. And, and how can we do that? Well, we think Sunday school is a good way to do that. First of all, it allows us to spend time together. You can't grow if you don't spend time in relationship together. 
And there's other ways to do this, but we are thinking in our day, when in our church where we are spread out, Sunday school is incredibly efficient. Right? It's not blocking a night off of your week. It's, it's not an extra trip out here. It's not an extra, um, you know, not extra gas bill as the, the prices keep rising. You just come out an hour earlier. And we have that time that we can dedicate um, together. We can use it to pursue relationships, either before or after, as we're at the tables. You think about what it means for the kids. If, if you were in late elementary Sunday school class, I would say the teachers would say there's a good bit of difference in the class dynamics between one child coming and four children coming and eight children coming. Right? It, it, it changes the, the, the tenor of the class and they get to develop relationships while they're in there. For the adults, too, as we're, we're working things out. And, and then I would say we get... The bonding time of growing together. I, I hate to say it, but is it even a sacrifice? I don't know. But if you've worked as a team for something, you've worked hard in the military or police, you go through boot camp or you're training together for sports or martial arts or maybe some, some great cause, you're, you're in your pregnancy center, you're working with the staff or even on a corporate boardroom. But when you fight for something, when you're working together and you're in it together, you can't help but grow closer at the end. That common goal brings you close. Well, maybe in a very small way, Sunday school would let us do that. We come together as Jesus' disciples to train. And if you have that mindset, I don't think you can't help but bond a little bit. We get up a little earlier. We come to be together to train and grow in Christ. So I would say Sunday school is more necessary than ever because we live in a world that will do you no favors. It wants to disciple you away from Christ and, and towards ungodliness. And the goal of Sunday school then is theological discipleship that builds us up and helps us to grow as the covenant community. So some of you are asking, well then, if Sunday school is so necessary, why are we taking a break in the summer? Mm, good question. Glad you asked. Some of you have. Thank you. That's, I appreciate that kind of feedback. Well, I listed some of them in my pastor's post. And the teachers used the break and could use the break. In fact, when we talked to the teachers, many of them appreciated the idea of taking the summer off. And so we don't want our teachers to get burnt out. And we do need more teachers. It's a natural time to take a break because kids take a break from school in summer and Christmas. Dick and I are away in the summers. People travel or are less likely to attend. I'll tell you a story. January 2nd, that's the day after New Year's, uh, I was doing fairly well for my second week of chemo, and so I bring Sam over to Sunday school at 10 o'clock sharp, and all the teachers are there for the kids. Sam's the only kid. He continues to be the only kid until about 20 minutes in, when maybe one other family of kids trickle in. And I use that time to talk to the teachers. Is, would this be a good break time to take a break, Maybe. Now, just putting this aside, if, if next summer if people want to suggest other opportunities, things we could do during the Sunday school hour, and they want to take and run with it, hey, come up with an idea, present it to the session, let's go for it. In fact, Dick and I are no promises, but we're, we're toying around with maybe this August during the Sunday school hour, we'll, we'll do some parenting workshops. Right? There's other possibilities. But we do think this is a time to take two breathers, catch our breath, dive back in, and if you aren't committed, it allows an easy entrance for you to come in during one of those breaks. And that comes to then the section that I want to just focus a little bit more, or at least emphasize. As leadership for Sunday school, we want to lower the bar 
and raise the ask. Lower the bar, raise the ask. You, you get what I'm saying there? That Sunday school is not a command. We could not and we would not command you to come to Sunday school because it's just a good application of Scripture. It's not clearly there. It's not a sin to not attend Sunday school. But we, as a session, believe it's helpful, and so we strongly ask you to commit to Sunday school. In order to do that, we want to clearly define the goals. This is why we're doing it. And then we say, let's, let's narrow it down a bit. We, we're all committed about to education, and so we're going to run at the same time kids do their school in the fall and in the spring. And here's, here's my prayer. I'm praying for 75% involvement. Maybe not right away, but we're gonna, I want us to get to 75% involvement. We're three out of four people who normally attend the worship service are also attending Sunday school. I pray for a vision where we return to a culture where Sunday school is normal. Right now it's not, either faith or, or other places, but I pray more than normal. It's exciting because we have those goals. And that's the vision. Now some of you might be feeling uncomfortable. It's like, I, I agree with your idea of Sunday school, but it, it, it really doesn't work for me right now. So let's talk about some Sunday school roadblocks and, and some good reasons and maybe some not so good reasons to not come to Sunday school. So let's first acknowledge that there are legitimate challenges. There, there, are, there are real challenges in seasons of life where it may not be good for you or if you have a family to come to Sunday school. That's why my goal is 70% and not 100%. So one of those reasons, well, old age, I mean, sometimes you're just driving, difficulty getting here, you just, you just don't feel well, um, sickness, you might not have the strength. You know, when I was going through some of my chemo rounds, sometimes week two, I thought, I just, I got, I got one service in me, and so I'm going to make that Sunday morning service. And I didn't come to Sunday school, that's what I had. Um, could be the age of your children. I realize we don't have a Sunday school nursery right now. So if that's a problem, let us know. We can't make promises. That, that would be good feedback to have. Sometimes it's work schedules. You, you, you're working weekends or you're working an overnight or second shift where it is, it's legitimately hard for you to make it to Sunday school where you, you can get up in time for worship. Those are, those are reasons. There's probably other ones. Though another reason, maybe not as good, though understandable, is it's hard. Sunday school is just hard subjects. Maybe it doesn't fit with what I like to do. Now, I'm just going to divide you real fast. And this, you know, you can have the, the practical people and the systematic people, right? The practical people, we like to talk about how to, how to apply the word. And we like to do relationships and counseling and parenting, and maybe a little po- apologetics. And, of course, God's word applies to life. And so that's, that's really important. Um, but if you camp out there, you're going to be vulnerable to heresy and error and you're not going to know God as deeply as you can which means you won't be able to love him as much and then and then we got the systematics people right and some of you would just be happy if we ran RC scroll reruns for the next 20 years you mean you raise your hand like yeah, yeah that's me I'd be, I'd be cool with that right and 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 it's great to mine the riches of God's word and and we want to be grounded in truth and his glory that's the wellspring that's in our heart it comes out but you know Jesus has some very direct teachings about how, how we live life and we need to go back there on the practical side. You know, some of you like the sermon, the lecture style where someone is just giving you really good truth and, and, you know, maybe, maybe some, a little bit of discussion. Like Brian's class was an excellent example. Like, if you missed it, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a pity for you because it was just great. And you're just like, this is, this is really helpful and then it generates some discussion, but the, the, the most part is, is helping you understand something. 
Uh, and then some of you just love sitting, uh, let's go back to like, but some of you are saying, man, I have trouble sitting through one sermon. I've got to go through two talks. Oh my goodness. And then, you know, some of you are, love to get around a table and talk about what does this mean for the gospel and, and how does this impact my life? And you could just sit around a table and talk for the whole hour. Some of you are terrified of doing that. And, and, and what do I mention these things? Because what I, we're talking about is a wide range of discipleship and we need it all. And so what we as a session want is a varied diet where you're going to get some of each of those. Some of the ideas that, that I just have, and it's just me, but so we do have someone suggested resolving everyday conflict. That's a practical side. And then, then Theology of Human Sexuality, a book by Carmen Tr- Carl Truman, which is actually a little bit of both. It's theology, but practical. Then, then a, a Bible book studies. We need to continue to do those. Uh, maybe a systematic study because we need to be grounded in that. Uh, a, a topic on suffering, which is a little bit of both. But I hope you see how all of those subjects are important and we need to be wrestling with them. And some of them will be suited to lecture and a deep dive, and others will be better to suited to sitting around tables and talking. And here's where the rub comes to discipleship. Jesus doesn't tell you just to camp out where you're comfortable. In fact, if you watch him with his disciples, he's constantly kicking them out to that stress point where they grow. And so if Sunday school is hard, I'm going to say to you, that's good, but it won't be all the time because we're going to be moving it around. But come and don't be afraid to be stretched. Don't be afraid to listen to something deep if that's hard for you. Don't be afraid to be at a table and discuss things if that's challenging for you. Jesus stretches us. Well, another one is it's a big commitment. Pastor Andrew, another hour on Sunday morning? It's a big ask. Is it? I'd ask you to examine two things. First is your perspective. Your perspective See, Sunday is the Lord's Day. Sunday is not a day to get caught up on life, go shopping, mow your lawn, pay your bills, take kids to sports events. It's a gift that God's given you to, to focus on worship and rest and, as Jesus showed, works of mercy. So if your view of Sunday is that the Lord gets one hour of worship, and then, you know, maybe the incidentals of the half hour before and after travel and prep and whatever, well, then an extra hour, man, that seems like a 50% increase. Well, that's, that's a big commitment. But I gently say to you, you have the wrong view of the Lord's day. But if you believe that the whole day belongs to the Lord, then it's not a matter of committing more time. It might not be the best application for you or your family. But instead, the question becomes, is this the best way to use God's time on Sunday? You see the difference there? It's a difference in perspective. It's also a difference in priorities. You do what matters to you. You know, it's amazing when you can arrive on time. It's amazing what things you will arrive on time to. Guys, I'll pick on you a little bit. I know some of you like to go hunting. I know some of you like to go fishing. Um, I, I haven't done those things yet. I have a feeling with my kids I will be doing that in about 10 years, just the way that they're interacting with the world. I will probably finally get that joy. But I, I kind of get this idea that sometimes the best times to go hunting and fishing, it gets you up early in the morning. And, and someone who, man, you just, you know, you would not be a morning person. All of a sudden, you know, five o'clock's not so bad. you got a purpose. you got to drive. You're going out there. Girls, you know, lunch with your friends. You might, your schedule's busy and all that kind of stuff. And then, boom, you know, that's, nothing's getting in between those two hours. All of a sudden, yeah, I, I didn't have, oh, all of a sudden I got room. or time for my lady trips. Um, work. I had a friend 
she, did, she hated mornings. She was a night person. She was in academia. She was in the lowest rung. She got the 7.30 a.m. class. It was torture for her. She did not like it. She never learned to like it. But she did show up on time. It was amazing. Now, you might object, especially those parents, like, yeah, but that doesn't include kids. All right. Parents. Do you get your kids to school on time? Parents, do you get to their extracurriculars on time? And if that's the case, why not 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at Sunday school? Let's be honest. You do what matters to you. And I want to talk to the parents for a minute here. Think about the message you're communicating to your kids and really yourself. If, if you talk about being the disciple of Christ and you invest in them and, and all these other activities, but, oh, you know, Sunday school is just not that high on our list. Well, we don't usually come, and when we do, we're 20 minutes late. Can you imagine doing that, you know, coming inconsistently or when you do 20 minutes late to a baseball team or a drama practice? Can you, would that be done? Now, as an aside, we understand there's reasons why we're late. We don't want to develop a culture of fear or legalism where if I can't be there on time, I'm not going. You know, Elizabeth was going to take the kids to the pediatrician, and she was, she was going to be there five minutes early, God bless her. Uh, and, and she gets in the car, she gets all three kids strapped in the car, which is doing something, and the car won't start. You see, we, we allow our kids to play in the minivan, they love it, and Tommy happened to turn the lights from automatic to on, and we didn't notice it, and the battery was drained. Let's just say Elizabeth was 20 minutes late. You're going out the door, Jimmy, where are your shoes? I don't know. They were right here 10 minutes ago. I don't know. You're 20 minutes late. There are so many reasons why you might be late. Please come. Come late. Come as you are. That's not what we're saying. It's not the accidents or when the things... It's, it's when you put a higher priorities on your hobbies, you're showing up for work, your kids' school and extracurriculars, the Sunday school, that concerns me. Because it shows you where your priorities are. Just think about that. And so here's the call to action. Join us this fall for Sunday school. And if not, and, and it's possible you have a good reason, but I want you to ask yourself these two questions. The first one would be to you and the Lord. Why not? What good reason do I have for not going to Sunday school? And is it a, it, would it fly if I had a hobby or a job or something else? And, you know, would, it, would, it, would it cut that mustard test? And the second is, if you're not doing that, we say this is good for being a disciple, what are you doing instead? What are you doing so that you can grow? And maybe the session will even ask you that question. So join us this Sunday. Well, I want to end by returning to the treasure of grace. Let's be clear, Sunday school can be a helpful tool, but it, it doesn't save you. It's not a magic bullet it doesn't guarantee the salvation of anyone or our kids. Right? It's clear that the reason that we're talking about it so much is because we want to grow in faith of our Lord Jesus who claims to be our treasure. Right? It's, it's something the Lord can use. And so while I pray we change the culture for Sunday school where it's, it's normal and it's exciting, it's only so that we can fall more in love with Jesus, not so that we can all be here just for Sunday school and say, oh, how good we are. The greatest and first commandment that Jesus quotes in the New Testament that we read in Deuteronomy is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That is what we want as God's people, and we believe that Sunday school could be helpful for it. That's why we're doing it. 
I want to go back to Grandpa's story of three generations. And I want to ask you today, who are you? What generation are you? And it's a bit of a spectrum, but we'll just ask one, two, or three. Are you that first generation? You say, yes, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect and I, I need God's grace, but I found that treasure and I'm excited and I'm following Jesus as a disciple. Are you in that second group where, yeah, you know, I believe in Jesus. I've put my faith in him, but I'm really not training much. I'm not even quite sure what it means to be a disciple. I don't don't really ever find myself rearranging my schedules or my priorities around him. Or if you're in that third group, maybe you're honest, he's not my treasure at all. Maybe if you're here, it's because of duty. You like the relationships. Kids, maybe your parents make you come, but you'd rather not be here. Let's end by remembering we have great news the God who created you, the God who came down and lived the perfect life in the person of Jesus for you. He died in your place to conquer your sin and defeat death. He calls you to accept him as Lord, to experience the new life now and for all eternity with meaning and purpose and with hope. Right? And that's why Sunday school matters, not because we're just doing it to do it, but because Jesus is our treasure and we want to know him better. Is he yours? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your grace is so wonderful that at any time, anyone who has wandered away from the faith can come back like the prodigal son and the father will say, let's kill the fatted calf, let's celebrate. This son was lost, but now he is found. We thank you for that truth and we cling to it. But we also know that we are to arm ourselves. We are to take up the cross We are to fight hard. We are to train by your grace. And so would you make people, us people who cling to the cross and trust in nothing else than Jesus, but then use the means of grace that he's given us to follow him. We pray this in his name. Amen.